Welcome to the podcast. I'm Tim Lee Master. Today we have Ed Mullane, Justin Zacks, and David Carnavali here from our Activist Monitor product. Activist Monitor tracks the campaigns from activist investors and the companies that they target. So today we were going to kick off with David, and uh, recently you did a story about an off-season that uh, wasn't very quiet at all. Can you tell us what happened? Sure, Tim. Um, We're coming up for a very interesting period of the activist cycle, the so-called off-season. This um, time of the year starts at the end of the proxy season, which is usually around June, July. And so it embraces the months of August, September, October. This time is a time when new activists emerge in new companies, and uh, most of the conversation goes on behind the scenes. We've heard from our sources that are mostly industry advisors that this off-season has been very, very busy. The reason for that is twofold. On one end, the companies are increasingly preparing to potentially become an activist target. So they're working with advisors and assess their vulnerabilities. On the other hand, activists are coming off a pretty good uh, 2017 proxy season. Performance have been picking up. So they've been targeting more and more companies. The consequence was that uh, uh, there have been more engagement between activists and, and their potential targets in this off-season, and we'll see these unfolding uh, in the coming weeks. So we've looked into some conversations taking place, not making names, but uh, for sure um, identifying some potential opportunities for our readers uh, in terms of uh, getting mandates and uh, identifying potential targets. We have heard that Elliot has been pretty active in some spaces, including energy, mining, life and sciences, and materials. We've also heard that there have been uh, a new potential target in the travel technology space um, because this company has been approached by a well-known activist fund and this situation could escalate. One restaurant company we heard uh, with a market cap of over a billion um, dollars has been facing pressure from some of its large institutional shareholders um, as they complain about its underperformance and suggest remedies. So this is a growing trend of seeing institutional shareholders engaging with companies and complaining about performance. Great, great. Okay, Ed, you're going to run us through some data? Yeah, I have a a few data points. Supporting David's uh, comments, um, we've seen a big level of uh, announce activity in September. Each month at Activist Monto, we put out a U.S. uh, monthly data blast where we provide very detailed uh, data uh, so people get up to speed on things. And uh, for September, we saw 18 campaigns launched. Uh, That was twice the number in August. And one-third of the new campaigns are targeting the energy sector. And this is the second month in a row that we've seen energy uh, lead uh, in companies being targeted. So you have a lot of uh, talk and chatter about what's going on, and the data is also supporting it. So... uh, so the advisors you see are very active, and then the data is supporting that, and it just looks like it's going to be a very, very busy end of the year. Great, great. Okay, now we're going to sort of take one, uh, one deal in isolation, and Justin, why don't you kick that off? Uh, hi, everybody. I uh, wanted to go over uh, Procter & Gamble. One thing that you know, uh, Ed, Ed and David both brought up, there's a, there's a lot of activity in the off-season, and particularly the activists are going after larger and larger companies. And, and, and in Procter & Gamble, Tryon was seeking to add Nelson Peltz to the board, uh, and they took a $3.5 billion position. Uh, they saw the loss of market share as uh, Procter's uh, number one problem. 
they were seeking a reevaluation of uh, Procter & Gamble's R&D program in order to bring back some growth. And they were also really kind of upset about the insular culture and the fact that they didn't have a lot of people from the outside. Um, and their main, their main ask was uh, a re- reorganization of the company structure into three global business units. And P- P&G kind of shot back and thought, well, what they're trying to do is they're trying to say that their changes are operational, but ultimately they wanted to break the company up into these three uh, units, something that Procter & Gamble didn't want to do. Uh, in the end, the, the campaign ended up uh, receiving support from all three uh, proxy advisory uh, firms, ISS, Egan Jones, and Glass-Lewitz. Uh, they were really impressed with Peltz's consumer packaged goods experience and felt that it was lacking on Procter & Gamble's board. He had been involved in campaigns at Wendy's, Heinz, and Mondelez. Uh, they held the AGM vote in early October, and when, the, when it came down to it, Peltz received 49% of the votes, and he was only 0.3% away of the shares that he needed to be elected. And because of that, they are actually going to contest the results. Those were actually just preliminary results. But even though they lost this campaign, uh, and because they got so close, the outcome is going to keep pressure on the board and on the management. And it's something that could be a theme going forward where you see, even though these companies are losing actual proxy fights, the press they get and the push they get on the management will actually keep the pressure on these companies. Uh, so they kind of win even though they lose, I guess yeah, is the idea. Exactly. So uh, Tryon spent a huge amount of money. They spent $25 million on this campaign. But even more was what PG, P&G spent. They spent $100 million. And that's one of, one of the uh, most expensive campaigns uh, of all time. Um, and Shortly after, uh, Procter & Gamble came out with some sales results that were, you know, again, not particularly good. So this is definitely going to keep the pressure on going forward. Another uh, campaign that is very similar in that you see someone that wants to pressure a company into operational changes is uh, Pershing Square at ADP. Um, their AGM is coming up on the 7th of November. Uh, originally, Pershing was looking for five board seats and the ouster of uh, CEO Carlos Rodriguez, uh, but he scaled that back um, and now is now requesting only three board seats and uh, without a CEO change. Part of that reason was because the, his campaign was kind of hastily put together, uh, kind of a last-minute type of thing. Originally, he didn't, he didn't even disclose what he wanted out of it. He waited a few weeks, uh, and what they're really looking for is uh, you know, operational changes that include reviews of product and technology, back-end improvements, and cuts to overall bloat. Pershing also wants uh, increased disclosure of business unit data to better allow for analysis of ADP's performance. And kind of the CEO, a lot of times, uh, normally they'll, they'll be very acquiescent or they're willing to listen. Here you saw it was very hostile. ADP's uh, CEO went on kind of the, on the aggressive defending himself against Pershing's claims and went on uh, several new, uh, TV channels to defend uh, to defend himself. So and you're saying this is a little bit out of the ordinary for Yeah, definitely out of the ordinary. It was, it, you know, it was, it was uh, kind of very hostile. And the CEO kind of got a little personal calling in uh, Pershing's own performance in its own fund against how ADP's done, showing that ADP's performance has, you know, far and away outperformed the S&P as well as, 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 well as Pershing Square. Pershing Square uh, is running out of a little bit of rope. They had a very successful 2014, but 15, 16, and now 17 are all, are all negative for the fund. 
And, um, I mean, how was that received by, by the market or people watching it? It was an unexpected move, right? Yeah, it was definitely, I mean, it's definitely uh, one that everyone was watching. You know, they're very interested in seeing kind of, uh, you know, what they're doing. And a lot of people ended up backing ADP. Uh, where, does they, the, where do the proxy firms stand with that? I think, what, two of them so far supported Ackman and... Yeah, so two, two, two uh, and this is the other interesting part. Although Ackman hasn't really received a lot of support from shareholders, he is receiving support from the uh, advisory services. Glass-Lewis and Egan Jones both back the three candidates, while ISS is doing kind of a partial back, and they're backing supporting one replacement, it would be Ackman replacing one of the board members. Because it's an interesting situation where, once again, Ackman is calling for major structural changes at the company. And with the proxy recommendations, it doesn't seem like they take that type of risk into their calculations. I mean, when, when I looked at the, uh, the two proxy firms supporting ADP, what I realized is they talked about performance relative to their peers, even though ADP's performance for the market has been quite good. And, you know, Ackman had trouble with JCPenney, um, and, and these type of big calls to, uh, to change the direction of a company have serious risks. It's going to be a lot tougher for him to garner the type of support that we saw at Procter & Gamble. Number one, he doesn't have a lot of shareholders in, in his uh, corner. And also, he only has actual, even though he has an 8% economic interest in the company, he, his voting interest is only about 2%. Uh, so he's definitely going to find a, you know, a lot harder path uh, through. And uh, the other problem that you have is, you know, prior to this, ADP has received uh, overwhelming support uh, for its CEO and shareholders in, in the last vote last year. And interestingly enough, uh, Ackman has also put a lot of money into this campaign and a lot of press, uh, and, his, and he's kind of rolled it out over, over the last couple months, you know, with little tidbits here and here. And his, his last idea was for ADP to buy uh, human capital management firm Ceradyne, uh, which is, is private. And we're not sure if Ceradyne is interested in selling, but there is one uh, human capital management company that is up for sale, and that's Cornerstone On Demand. Uh, they also have a, a, an activist, and Ed, Ed can tell you a little bit about that. Yeah, Cornerstone, I think that's one of the most interesting uh, campaigns to follow as the year comes to an end. This is a situation where you have a very good technology, which private equity firms tend to like. I think their recurring revenue stream is close to 95%. But uh, the company's underperformed, and there are arguments out there that the cost structure is too high compared to other SaaS companies. Uh, the other interesting angle with this is you're having some debate among the shareholders between whether the company should sell or should they get a new CEO. You know, Is there more upside to this situation if you get a qualified CEO in there and let them operate the company properly. And then the, an additional angle is the shareholder, the leading shareholder in this has been Presidium, and whether how aggressive they'll be. Uh, last year, uh, at the start of the year, when the AGM was being held, everyone waited on Presidium and how aggressive they would be in terms of nominating people. This year, it appears from looking at filings and stories that we reported that Presidium is going to be a lot more aggressive and is a lot more engaged and is willing to take that next step to force changes at companies. So uh, this is, uh, the shares have rallied a bit. Uh, it's up to the low 40s now. I think we've done some stories that if uh, 
the company uh, gets an offer in the, the low to mid-50s that you consider it. Um, and then conversely, you also have some shareholders saying, now just get a, uh, a CEO with a bit more experience in there and, and let's see how he can operate this and maybe this could be uh, you know, a real boom of the situation. They, they might run into a situation where they might have to move ahead with that CEO strategy just because there's, there's not that many suitors that uh, fit well with, with uh, Cornerstone and ADP is actually one of the few uh, that might be a very good fit. Yeah, I think uh, ADP could be a fit, and then I think Oracle's had some uh, some questions about Oracle strategy and the success they've had in terms of acquiring talent talent management companies. Uh, so there are, there are only a few buyers. Private equity should be interested, but they would probably need an, a uh, you know an asset in the SaaS space that sort of matches the assets of Cornerstone. Any particular private equity fund that would stick out? Well, uh, you've had Vista do a lot of. Uh, acquisitions in the space, and then there are others as well. Um, so it could be part of a, a bigger roll-up. You could, if the company really wanted to sell, this is one of the situations, because uh, uh, the technology has worked well and competitors have failed to bring technology to, uh, to market, um, you could have uh, you know this one get between a few players, some private equity, some strategics. I think it, it could become a pretty... Uh, hotly contested situation, uh, you know, in January and the nomination uh, window rolls around. Great, great. And then we have a last look with uh, David. I think it was Potbelly. Yeah, just briefly. Uh, Potbelly, it's a restaurant company. It was targeted initially by Ancora Advisors. Um, they disclosed uh, an around 4% stake. So below the 5% threshold to, you know, file a 13D. Um, in the summer, um, they were complaining about some uh, operational missteps. They called the company to um, fix that, and potentially if they weren't able to align their strategy to what the activists thought was ideal uh, to launch a strategic review, the company responded by launching a an operational review, which is not exactly a strategic review through JP Morgan, which was kind of confusing from the activist perspective, and also the market didn't really understand what to make of it. Um, the uh, review is ongoing, but what's very interesting is that in the meantime, a new activist has emerged, uh, Gridsley Rock, uh, part of this new breed of activists, second generation activists. They disclosed a 5% stake uh, uh, last week, and they are actually calling the company to be more precise on what this review is about on, on 3 November when the company is going to uh, announce its earnings. Uh, so they really want to know what JP Morgan has been doing, have detailed information about this review, and based on that, they're going to, you know, take their decisions on how to move forward, potentially looking uh, into make nominations for the next year AGM. Great, great. All right. Well, we've got a lot of activity on Activist Monitor then. We want to thank uh, Justin, Ed, and David, and thank you for listening.